Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown, brought to you by me. <laughs> Feeling slightly unwell. You know you get that scratchy throat? Anyone else get that when it's like, oh, I'm about to be sick? And both my kids and my wife have just been sick. And I'm just like, ah. Oh got to get so much recording in today because wife i'm like not well the next few weeks or like next next few weeks next few days Ugh. but here we are cracking on with it what's inside mount what's inside mount shasta never heard of mount shasta no idea if there's anything inside it probably not this is decoding the unknown when we mostly shit on the idea that the there's mysterious stuff that we don't understand in the world let's jump in thank you katie for writing it i'm gonna read it first time that's the format of the show There are some places on the planet where mysterious borders converge, where the air seems to be charged with something other. Where maybe the veil between this plane and the next is just a touch thinner than anywhere else. <laughs> no, there's no other plane. I mean, maybe there's another plane. Like, there's that that physics thing, multiverse theory, which no one seems to find it as fascinating as I do, that the dude who's the lead singer of the Eels, his dad came up with that. He's like the main scientist behind the multiverse theory. And I'm like, that's kind of amazing. <laughs> It's like, who's that guy? Um, the the guy's an actor, but also the lead singer, Jared Leto, the lead singer of 30 Seconds to Mars. I'm like, really? Wow. Okay. I mean, kind of mediocre actor, kind of mediocre band, but the fact that they're that successful from one dude, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive stuff, Jared. One of these places is Mount Shasta in Northern California. A volcanic, or what I was trying to say was like multiverse before I got onto a tangent about Jared Leto is multiverse theory yeah maybe there are other planes of existence out there but we're never going to be able to access them through like some mountain okay that's not happening one of these places is mount shasta in northern california a volcanic mountain which has drawn people to it for thousands of years many of whom disappear forever rumors swirl like the clouds above it telling of strange people creatures and underground tunnels that lead to cities of light whole occult movements have sprung up from the experiences and tales told of the mountain and spiritual rituals are frequently held there let's find out about the story <laughs> california so yeah yeah so so yeah maybe there's like tunnels and cities of lights and demons inside that mountain or you went out into the desert volcanic mountain in northern california and you did LSD or something. That's probably what happened. It's not this. Or mushrooms. Or whatever. Let's find out about the stories linked to Mount Shasta and see whether there's actually something to its reputation as some sort of interdimensional gateway. This episode is also known as the Decoding the Unknown Motherload. Oh my god, it's gonna have everything. <laughs> I love that. I just Aliens are absolutely gonna enter the picture at some point. Shasta Facts Here's the lowdown on the stats of Mount Shasta. It's part of a whole string of volcanoes running up the western side of North America called the Cascade Volcanoes, which form a section of the Pacific Ring of Fire. Mount Shasta is the second highest of the Cascades in an elevation of 14,179 feet, or 4,322 meters. That's really high. Isn't Everest like... I always remember how high Everest is, because it's like at the altitude that commercial airlines cruise, like 30-something thousand feet. So that's like half the size of Everest? 
Everest is massive. Making about half the size of Mount Everest, there we go, and two-thirds the length of the Las Vegas Strip, or about 2,916 Danny DeVitos all stacked up neatly. I've no idea. Is that The Vegas Strip seems very, very long. I didn't know it was so long. I've been to Vegas, and I've walked up and down the Strip, and it was so bloody. It was like 50 degrees when I was there. Um, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. It's a lot. It was, like, ridiculously hot. It's half the point to boiling water. Siri, what's 50 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit? It's 122 degrees Fahrenheit. And so mostly, I just stayed inside the hotel because it was too it was too hot to even go out to the pool. It was ridiculous. It's 10,000 feet or 3,000 meters higher than anything surrounding it. It has also erupted in the past, around the year 1250. It's a stratovolcano, meaning it's built up of many layers, also known as strata, or alternating ash, hardened lava, and other stuff from previous eruptions. It's steep-sided, with some satellite cones attached, and it looks pretty cool, as there's usually snow on top, which is kind of funny for a volcano that is classed as active, according to NASA's Earth Observatory website. It's also the largest volcano by volume in the Cascades range, so basically if this thing blows, it's going to be a biggie. I know the like odds of all of this shit happening is like, really low, but the longer time period you look at, the more likely it becomes to a point of certainty. And I'm like, at some point, someone's... And California, it's like, I just made a video about the San Andreas Fault. And I'm like, holy shit, that's going to be big when that blows. Or the Yellowstone supervolcano, that's going to be devastating. And I'm like, I'm glad I live... Like, <laughs> there's no natural disasters where I live. There's no tsunamis. There's no flooding. I mean, unless it rains really bad, but then it's like... I mean, the worst is going to happen. I remember it rained really bad one time at my last apartment building and the basement flooded and it smelled for a while until they pumped it out and dried it out. But it's like, I don't know, pretty safe. No volcanoes, no earthquakes, no tsunamis. It's just nice and safe and boring. And I'm very happy with that. Thank you very much. Mount Shasta is located in the Shasta Trinity National Forest, California's largest forest, covering over 2 million acres which is more than twice the size of Rhode Island, and I'm not even going to guess how many Danny DeVitos could get lost in there. It sits about 50 miles south of Oregon of the Oregon border and can be seen from many, many miles away, a powerful presence for thousands of years. Oh, a fun fact, my wife's met Danny DeVito. She went to a film festival, and he was there taking pictures, and she got a picture with him. <laughs> I was like, that's cool. It's dominance over the surrounding. This was like years, years ago, way, way before we even met. You make an impression. When you when you enter people's lives, you make an impression. I mean, you're not going to forget this guy, right? Yeah. Its dominance over the surrounding landscape means the Mount Shasta has been a focal point for Native American tribes, and there are plenty around the area, such as the Klamath, Winnemem, Wintu, Modoc, and Shasta tribes that have legends relating to the mountain, as well as rituals and ceremonies that are regularly carried out in the area to this day. So let's get into the stories surrounding this mountain, shall we? Native American folklore. Myths and legends are cool because everyone reads them as fiction, or alternative, creative ways that things came into being. They're allegorical, fantastical, they're definitely not 100% true. As a child, I read a book called Norse Gods and Heroes, and also enjoyed reading Greek myths and legends, but even as a kid, I didn't think that any of these things actually happened, like the goddess Athena being born out of Zeus's head, fully grown, and already wearing armor. Yeah, I remember once, like, I think I was in primary school or whatever, and I heard about, like, witchcraft and shit. And people going to like witch stores and buying all of this like crystal balls and all of this stuff. And being a kid, I was like, wow, if they sell it in a shop, it must be real. You couldn't say something, sell something that doesn't work. Why would anyone be doing it? That's absurd. And so for a while, I was just like, wow, I should really learn about this witchcraft. It sounds awesome. You can like cast spells and shit. This was like before Harry Potter. And I was like, wow. Wow. Okay. And then I don't know how I found out that this wasn't real. <laughs> I was like, oh no, it's not real. Why would I be lied to like this? Kids are naive. 
Some of these legends are ways of explaining what we now know as natural phenomena, and so some people today might flippantly say that thunder is God bowling or something, but in the past it might have been Thor rumbling through the sky in his chariot. Anyway, there are some Native American legends linked to Mount Shasta, so I thought we could mention these first before getting into the absolutely insane stuff, as this is firmly in the camp of people understanding that it is not real. The main legend associated with Mount Shasta is from the Klamath tribe. The story goes that there was a spirit of the below world called Lao and a spirit of the above world called Skel. Even though Lao was supposed to stay in the below world, it frequently hop up on the top of Lao Yeyina, currently known as Oregon's Mount Mazama, for a look around. One day he fell in love with the daughter of a Klamath Indian chief. Why is it always a chief's daughter or princess and not like some rando normo like 99.999% of the time? Because it makes a better story, that's why. Because <laughs> it's a story, it's not reality. It's like, why does the James Bond franchise follow James Bond's a fascinating international super spy and not the reality of spying, which is probably just a dude in a windowless office at a computer going through files? I do not want to lose a good man. But, you know, it's out of my hands. And even if it were in my hands, my hands are tied. Something personal. Well, it's because James Bond is fiction and the other is boring reality. And fiction's better. Anyway, she didn't fall for his advances because he was apparently ugly, so he got mad and swore revenge by fire on her tribe. The chief asked the spirit Skell for help, and so he descended from the above world and took up a spot on top of Mount Shasta. From there, Blau and Skell hurled fireballs and rocks at each other. <laughs> this guy's a good friend. It's like, that girl called me ugly. Come down here and help me destroy them. And the dude's like, yeah, bro, I'll be right down. Like, okay. <laughs> bros. From there, Lau and Skell hurled fireballs and rocks at each other. The ground trembled and the skies turned black. Wait, wait, did I misread that? Lau and Skell are not bros at all. He called him down for help and then they were throwing fireballs at each other? Stories from the past are just weird. That doesn't even make sense. Why would he call him for help and then he just be, is attacked by him? More and more spirits joined in the battle in the end and the two men from the tribe offered to sacrifice themselves to stop the fighting. Skell didn't let them, but it gave him the impetus to fight harder, and he eventually won, driving Lao back under the mountain and caving in the top to trap him below ground forever. Whoa, he's like the opposite of a bro. He just completely betrayed him and then trapped him underground. He then filled the crater with water, and it's now what's known as Crater Lake in Oregon. This is a fun origin story for the lake, and probably also has roots in people having actually witnessed Mount Shasta erupting in 1250, or probably before. As the NASA Earth Observatory site again said, Mount Shasta is an active volcano that has erupted at least once per 800 years for the past 10,000 years. So yes, godlike spirits hurling flame and rocks at each other is a good explanation for a volcanic eruption when you have no idea what a volcanic eruption is. But what excuse do these next lot have for the bonkers stories about the volcano mountain? Let's get into it. Okay, the good stuff begins. Lemuria. Haven't I heard of Lemuria before? Haven't we covered this on a previous episode somehow? It feels like one of those mysterious lost underground places that some people who are crazy think exists and by crazy i just mean usually just trying to like sell sh loads of their nonsense books so they just scam people for money in my opinion allegedly in the contest of lost continents atlantis takes first place by a nautical mile we've all heard of it and its name is still used today for various things like a resort in the bahamas a casino in reno and a water coaster ride in sea world that's not to mention all the books and films that are directly about or reference the mythical island that sank into the sea there is another competitor in this field however the continent of lemuria have you ever wondered how lemurs got to Madagascar that fossils have been found in India, though none have been found in Africa or the Middle East, which would make much more sense geographically? <laughs> Can't say I have, but 
Okay. I'm sure it really keeps you awake at night. Well, according to Philip Schlater, a 19th century zoologist, there used to be a large area of land that acted as a land bridge from the Indian subcontinent to what became Madagascar. Holy sh! That's going to be a big-ass bridge. This area later sank into the Indian Ocean. Because he was talking about lemurs, the sunken continent was dubbed Lemuria. Okay, that's one thing. But what's the sunken landmass in the Indian Ocean got to do with a volcano in California? Excellent question, Katie. I was wondering it myself. <laughs> like, why are we taking a trip here? It's almost the exact opposite side of the, wor- of the world. Well, we need to take a little leap of faith here, or rather a huge and jarring jump cut to reorientate the story back to, Ma- back to Mount Shasta. So kind of forget the whole Indian Ocean and lemurs thing for the time being, because that's a train that's going to go off the rails. And don't worry, we will of course circle back to crap all over this later. We're just presenting the story for now okay that is a crazy setup i have no idea how the like wackos writing the books about this to sell them and make money are gonna link these two things together i i couldn't possibly predict like maybe i i did say it was the opposite side of the world maybe there's a tunnel through the center of the earth from like mount shasta murray which is obviously absurd but maybe who knows What if I told you there's a whole hidden city deep inside or underneath Mount Shasta and that enlightened beings, contemporaries of Atlanteans, have been living there for thousands of years? Well, I'll tell you what, Katie, I'd say that you're speaking nonsense. Would you roll your eyes and say, oh god, not this again, or would you continue to listen? Which I hope you do as I've I've only just started writing this, but there's a lot more to go. (laughs) Let's hear this story out. Okay, okay, we'll hear it out. Like, I know I sound like a very close-minded person. But I'm just a person who requires a lot of evidence. And it's like, if there is a secret city underneath here where the Atlanteans live, I'm open to the idea, if you can prove it to me, which I don't think you're going to be able to do because it's absurd. Lemurians, i.e. people living on the now-lost continent of Lemuria, managed to find a new home for themselves after their previous homeland of Lemuria sank below the waves. This may or may not have been to do with a thermonuclear war. The Lemurians were having with the Atlanteans, which resulted in the destruction of both places. But anyway, moving on. Just before we move on, we know that that's not true. Like, when they detonated that first nuclear bomb, it released, like, some nucleotide or radioactive particle or whatever into the atmosphere. So now we know that, like, they use it, I think it was an episode of, like, it was like a TV show where they, maybe it was White Collar. I think it was White Collar, that TV show about the, the guy who works for the FBI. It's awesome. And they're dating some bottle of wine. And they can't fake the the air in the wine because it's from before, like, the nuclear bomb went off or something. And I know I'm basing this on fiction, but I think there's something that nuclear weapons change. So we know, like, air after that date and before that date. So anything before that date we know is was not nuclear contaminated. I realize I'm talking about something I don't really remember very much about. So I'm just going to stop. But we know there were no thermonuclear bombs or nuclear bombs before we made nuclear bombs in like the 40s or whenever. Eventually, they decided that instead of living on the surface of the Earth among the stupid normal Homo sapiens, they would start their civilization again somewhere out of sight of dull old humankind. They actually knew about the destruction of Lemuria before it happened, so about 12,000 years ago, they started creating a city under Mount Shasta in what became Northern California. Using existing tunnels and caverns, as well as creating their own, this city became home for the Lemurian refugees and became what is now known as Telos and is lit by an artificial sun deep underground. Because of course it is. (laughs) According to the website (laughs) LemurianConnection.com, brilliant source. It consists of five levels, including acres of hydroponic gardens, a pyramid-shaped temple with the capstone from Venus. All right. (laughs) Why? Why do you have to add all these ridiculous elements? And schools for children and adults alike. The Lemurians were much taller than average people, around 7 feet or 2.1 meters. 
or one whole Danny DeVito plus two-fifths more. So, like, maybe his head and shoulders on top again. <laughs> We're deep in the Danny DeVito, aren't we? They are described as wearing robes and sandals, having glowing skin and long flowing hair, which really just sounds like your bog-standard Californian hippie type. But they also have very long necks adorned with jeweled collars. And of course, they are known to have very strong psychic powers such as telepathy, telekinesis, and the ability to disappear, because of course they are. Also, glowing skin. That'd be really annoying when you're trying to say, my eyelids are glowing into my eyes again. But how has this story come about? Well, it starts with an influential book written at the end of the 19th century called A Dweller of Two Planets. While it was finished in 1886, it wasn't actually published until 1905, several years after the author's death. Here was one Frederick Spencer Oliver, a young Californian man, but the story he wrote almost entirely was channeled through him by a spirit known as Philos the Thibetan. And what a wild ride it is. Well, it probably was in the early 1900s. It's kind of weird and quite boring now. This was also the time period when theosophy was starting to make waves in the US. Theosophy has been classified as a religion, although Helena Blavatsky, the Russian woman who founded it in 1875, denied it should be one. And people could be theosophists and, for example, Buddhist or Christian as well. It seems more of a spiritual and philosophical movement, but it has also been referred to as a cult, which makes it seem more interesting than it probably is. From the Theosophical Society in America's website, it states that to join, all you need to do is agree to the three objects. One, to form a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. Two, to encourage the comparative study of religion, philosophy, and science. Three, to investigate unexplained laws of nature and the powers latent in humanity. Well, we're cracking three with this show, aren't we? We're investigating unexplained laws of nature and shitting all over them. To give you more of an idea, here are a few theosophical ideas again from the official website. Behind everything seen or unseen, there is an eternal, boundless, and immutable, absolute reality, which is beyond the range of human thought. Both matter and consciousness, or spirit, are the two polar aspects of this reality. The visible universe is only its densest part of this reality. Invisible dimensions, or planes of extremely subtle kinds of matter energy, interpenetrate the physical world. Knowing this truth helps us to understand many things in the universe that are otherwise baffling. No, no, what, what is baffling is this text, because it's nonsense. There are no mechanical laws. The universe is pervaded by an immense intelligence which is both present in the world and beyond it. Therefore, intelligence is at the basis of all laws of nature. What most people consider supernatural is a manifestation of these otherwise unknown laws. I have, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm just like reading that and my, my, my eyes are just like fully glazed over being like supernatural. Other dimensions reaching through planes of existence. I'm just like... <laughs> Show me the science. So hopefully you get the idea. It seems that Frederick Spencer Oliver was well acquainted with his local theosophical group, even sharing the teachings Philos had been telling him before later writing them down in his book, A Dweller on Two Planets. Because his book mentions Nemoria and the Memorians and was apparently dictated to him by some alien, this is somehow proof in the Mount Shasta is hiding an underground city theory that Lemuria existed, rather than Frederick Spencer Oliver had a vivid imagination and should probably have been checked out by a doctor. I'll leave this here for now and move on to the next link in the Lemuria chain, which is J.C. Brown. In 1904, J.C. Brown was apparently prospecting for gold in them thar hills around Mount Shasta when he found a hidden tunnel in the back of a cave. This tunnel went underground for about 11 miles. Oh my god. Dude, this is, I, I don't believe this is real, for one, because I get the feeling it's going to be absolutely wacky. But who the fuck is it, is, what was he doing? He was prospecting for gold, 
and then he walks 11 miles underground. That is an insane, absolutely insane thing to do. You need to bring a crew, and most of all, you need to bring some, like, a giant reel of string or rope so that you can find your way back. Like, 11 miles underground, you'd be sh- in your pants. Also, it would take you, like, all day to walk that. He eventually found a subterranean city full of wonders, gold and jewels. There was also mummified bodies of beings over 10 feet tall, although they could equally have been two Danny DeVitos. <laughs> this seems to tally with a whole Lemuria myth. Had Brown stumbled upon the city of Talos? He seems to have kept this discovery to himself for a while, but 30 years later, he told someone called John C. Root, who hastily gathered a large team of prospectors to go and find this treasure. John C. Root, little bit gullible. On this day, they I sometimes feel like in the past, like, was gullibility not a thing? I feel like it's like in that like Invention of Lying movie with Ricky Gervais. People just take everything at absolute face value. I'm black. I knew it. Oh, you're very light-skinned, but I can see it. I always wanted a black friend. Me too. I'm an Eskimo. Fantastic. Yeah, I've never seen a black Eskimo. On the day they were supposed to meet to start the expedition, Brown failed to show. Weird that. I could just imagine him whistling away nonchalantly wherever he was, trying to pretend he hadn't just wasted a lot of people's time and money. 1931 is where this Lemuria thing really took off. As if we're not deep enough in the weeds with theosophy, here's another esoteric slash occult movement to throw into the mix the Rosicrucians. While Rosicrucianism has been around in Europe since the 1600s, a man called Harvey Spencer Lewis established the First Order in the U.S. in 1915, giving himself the admittedly pretty cool title of First Imperator of the Ancient and Mystical Order Rosicrucis. All right, chill. This was shortened to a mork for everyone's benefit. Anyway, Lewis wrote a book in 1931 called Lemuria, The Lost Continent of the Pacific, under the awkwardly anagram pseudonym of Wishar Spenley Survey. Bro, that's not an anagram, that's just you. I mean, technically it is, but bro, Wishar. Surely there's something easier to make out of your name than that. This book was published by Amork, and the publisher's preface contains one of the best disclaimers that I've ever seen. Quote, We have just stated that our desire has been to make this book free from panderous scientific quotations, and for any to take advantage of this by criticizing the lack of such evidence will be a sign of insecurity. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, the reason I'm not citing any science is because uh, you're insecure! <laughs> If the self-evident and indisputable facts found in this book are given proper consideration, there can be no doubt left in the mind of any critic that most of the entire story of Lemuria, as recorded herein, must be true. Bro, just what the f***? <laughs> I can't sum it up better than, like, no sides, because you're insecure. It's ridiculous. Here are some of the chapters to give you an idea of the facts that you will learn in this book. The mental and psychic development of the Lemurians, the community life of the Lemurians, and remarkable achievements of the Lemurians. The book takes us on a wild ride through the history of the world, including this banger from the chapter The Colonies and Descendants of the Lemurians. Quote, Considering the Lemurians were the first definite races of man known to history, and that the continent of Lemuria was the real cradle of the civilization of man, we're confronted with the interesting fact that from Lemuria and its people came almost all of the present-day races of man. Uh, wait, so we're all descended from the... The timeline of this is well off! <laughs> oh, this is such a mess. Would it, like, I'd love to get my hands on one of these books. Like, I'm sure uh, it would actually be really boring. But just, it's fully wacky. If I got one of these books and read it as an episode, and probably not the whole thing, but and commented on it, and like joked around about it and how stupid it is, would that be fair use? 
He's like, I don't want to do that because they're insane. Lewis later writes of many instances of Lemurians being seen out and about in the Mount Shasta area. Quote, Occasionally, one of these oddly dressed individuals would come to one of the smaller towns and trade nuggets and gold dust for some modern commodities. These odd-looking persons were not only peculiar in their dress and different in attire from any costume ever seen on the American Indian and especially the California Indian, but distinctive in features and complexion, tall, graceful, and agile, having the appearance of being quite old and yet exceedingly virile. They gave every indication of being what one would term a foreigner, but with a larger head, much larger forehead, a headdress that adds a special decoration that came down over the center of the forehead to the bridge of the nose, and thus hid or covered a part of the forehead that many have attempted to see and study. Okay. Bro, you just make it up. It's just fiction. I'm just wondering how you can tell if someone is exceedingly virile just by looking at them. Yeah, doesn't virile. Does virile mean like, I always thought it meant like sexual, you know, not like uh like being um like a virile person would be someone who's like mm. right right let's look that up wide range of masculine characteristics viewed positively oh okay so it's yeah it's not necessarily related to sex i guess they must be giving off some specific bde or something that stands for big dick energy simon in case you didn't know i did know i recently learned that <laughs> and it means someone who's like very secure in themselves they're just like what up <laughs> because they got a big dick, in case you didn't realize. And that covered-up bit on their foreheads is supposedly the center for their psychic powers, by the way. This book contains many of the examples of Lemurian stuff happening around Mount Shasta that pop up on more recent websites that you can find, so we can say with some certainty that it's been the biggest influence in the whole Lemurian story as we know it today. Yep, based on that thing that is definitely fact because you're insecure. At around the same time the book was published, or actually just before, in 1930, another weird Mount Shasta moment was happening. Guy Ballard was taking a hike, as one does, when he bumped into the Count of St. Germain, as one doesn't, because he had long been dead by that time. He was a huge figure in theosophy in his day, and actually loads of other people have claimed to have seen the Count centuries after his death. It has also been claimed that the Count was an ascended master, and had been through various incarnations throughout history, including being Joseph, i.e. Jesus' stepdad, Merlin, Christopher Columbus, and Sir Francis Bacon. In case you're interested, Guy Ballard himself had apparently previously seen Richard the Lionheart and George Washington. Sounds like Guy is another one of these dudes who needs to go and see the doctor. Like the dude who was talking to, who was writing the book because an alien was talking to him. Sounds like schizophrenia or something, doesn't it? Like paranoid something where they talk, where people talk to you, you think you're in their voices? An alien's talking to me, I'm writing it down, bro. And Guy. Get yourselves checked out. I know this is the past, so they'd just probably put you in an asylum. So that's probably why you didn't. But you're not right in the head. Not bad, but I guess he must have then done something a bit wrong to end up as old Guy Ballard. Guy Ballard. You... 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 <laughs> what is your life? His wife Edna, incidentally, has previously been Joan of Arc, Elizabeth I, and Benjamin Franklin, which I call bullshit on because... I was totally Benjamin Franklin in a previous life, and we both can't have been him. Anyway, after this meeting on the slopes of Mount Shasta, the Count of Saint-Germain inspired Ballard to start his own offshoot of theosophy called the I Am Activity Movement. This was quite a success at the start, claiming around a million members in its heyday, but Ballard died in 1939 after the I Am group had only been going for a few years. This group really went hard into the Ascended Masters area of New Age religions, which is all about reincarnation, karma, and ascending up the ranks of humanity. Which again begs the question, how did someone who was formerly such heavy hitters as Richard the Lionheart and George Washington steep so, stoop so low to be reincarnated as Guy Warren Ballard? Well, what it speaks to is Guy Warren Ballard's inflated sense of his own self, doesn't it? Because Guy Bar what's his face? Guy Ballard thinks he's really important. 
Anyway, they still have a presence today, especially around the Mount Shasta area. A look at Google Maps shows an I Am Temple School reading room and University of Spiritual Psychology are within about a mile of each other, so they're obviously still intrinsically tied to the mysterious mountain. Speaking of mysterious, what other weird stuff has happened on Mount Shasta? These are the sort of people I get emails from. Like, you've never seen any of my stuff before, but they're watching videos about their own thing on YouTube, and they'll email me being like, Simon, it's outrageous that you misrepresented us in this way, and we believe in this, and I'm an ascended master of that. And it's like, bro, 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 stop. You know, I read about three three words into those emails, and I know what they are, and I'm just like, delete. So please don't waste your time. The Usual Suspects, Mount Shasta Edition. After spending so long on this Lemuria thing, I think we can take a bit of a broader approach with the rest of the claims about Mount Shasta. So here goes. Guess who has apparently been spotted roaming the mountainsides and forests in the Mount Shasta area? Ah, oh, it's our old pal Sasquatch or Bigfoot done a video about him. Not real. There's no need to go into very much detail, as we've done a whole episode on this cryptid in the past. Basically, there's no good proof, evidence, photo, or video of anything, but as Mount Shasta is in prime Squatch territory, of course he's going to make a cameo in here somewhere. Still waiting for the aliens, Katie. Where are the aliens? Moving on to our favorite topic, aliens! Yes! <laughs> this one's a bit more interesting than the Bigfoot stuff, as UFOs have been seen all over and around Mount Shasta on multiple occasions over the years. Makes sense, inasmuch as this thing can make any sense, as Mount Shasta is a huge presence that dominates the surrounding area for many miles around. It's also one of the few power centers on the planet where spiritual energy is supposedly extra, extra strong. Again, not real. If extraterrestrials were going to check this place out, why not start there? Brian David Wallenstein published a book in 2012 called Mount Shasta Sightings, a local and regional chronology of UFO sightings and more. It runs to over 600 pages, so there's got to be something good in there, right? On the back, part of it reads, The clear, refreshing, and grounded approach Brian takes to address the UFO conundrum in a town mired with mystical chatter, a reputation of cosmic muffins, Lemurians, ascended masters, religious extremes, and airy-fairy fantasy, can and will hopefully restore a level of respectability to ufology and spirituality in our town and beyond. That sounds totally reasonable. Like, I am totally for people investigating UFOs. Go out there and do your thing. Find the proof. I'm into that. That's fine. And get rid of all the fantasy bullshit. And I, you know, just that could be a real thing of study. Looking for unidentified flying objects because they're real. Like they're usually like experimental planes or weather balloons. But go study it. I'm all for that. At the end, for this is a very long jacket blurb, it says, Not one sighting in this book lacks credibility, possibility, or value. They all stand on their own, valid and amazing. Okay, it's a pretty, pretty bold claim there. Let's see how that works out for you, Brian. Wow, big claims there, Brian. Katie and I, same page. By the way, I'd not come across any mentions of cosmic muffins during my research into this, so I did a quick search. Yeah, I just kind of glossed over that, but what? And it might refer to a radio astrologer called Daryl Martini or Howard Hughes's Boeing 307 Stratoliner that was repurposed and turned into a houseboat before being donated to a museum. Pow! What is going on? <laughs> this is such a bizarre thing. Either that or this is a really good muffin shop in Mount Shasta. This book has several positive reviews and a couple of less complimentary ones, such as This started out as a promising read, then the book devolves into very dry and bland reporting of UFO sightings. I can't tell you how tired I got of reading Silvery Disc Observed in very clinical and emotionless terms. I had to put the book down. Sorry. A three-star review mentions some statements made in the book could be considered a little far out and hard to substantiate, and more in the realm of the author's opinion. But to be fair, most of the reviews are four and five stars. But, important thing here, this is a very self-selecting crowd. 
it's people people who are picking up this book believe in this stuff so they're already going in there inclined to do that so they're much more likely to give a positive review no one like me is ever buying this book and then reviewing it because we're like nonsense so we can ignore the reviews good reviews don't mean scientific accuracy and scrutiny going back to ufo sightings around mount shasta in particular as usual what we do not have are any decent photos of actual alien craft what a surprise what we do have however are lots of great snaps of lenticular clouds which can definitely look like flying saucers because of the conditions needed to form this type of cloud mount shasta is a great place to see them there was a particularly good alien looking one in february 2020 which ignited hot debate online leading the u.s forest service for the shasta trinity national forest to post an explanation on social media downplaying the cloud with absolutely no mention of ufos even as a tongue-in-cheek reference yeah and it's like i'm looking at these photos now they'll pop up on the screen if we can do that sometimes they might you know they could be copyrighted or whatever but bro they're clouds that look a tiny little bit like an like a ufo tiny little bit they're not real i mean they're real clouds but that's it they're clouds anyone who thinks these are anything but clouds is just like delusional any slightly odd people you might meet around manchester might be lemurians or they might just be slightly odd people but they're unlikely to be extraterrestrials we've covered this kind of thing a lot in the past and we'll probably do it again in the future so sorry about that but it's not the most interesting thing about this story apart from some cool photos of a bunch of condensed water vapor pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar 49 perfect with our classic fries price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. disappearances now let's get back to real life again for a minute which is a relief but now we're talking about mysterious disappearances from the mount shasta area a large number of unsolved cases as of 2022 11 people have vanished over the space of 10 years never to be seen again well because it's a national park it's probably massive and it's a giant mountain people are going to go out there and they're going to get stuck in a ravine like that dude from that 48 hours movie or whatever he cuts his own arm off with a blunt pen knife like that's going to happen to people but they're not going to cut their own arm off with a blunt pen knife and they're just going to die 11 people over 10 years doesn't seem that bad they just fell down ravines or some shit. now you might think that this is not unusual in national park areas people go missing all the time but i looked at the u.s national park services cold cases page and there are 10 missing persons listed for yosemite national park but some of the cases stretch back to the 70s and 80s this indicates that people are going missing at a much faster rate in mount shasta or at least a completely dropping off the grid so what's going on are they meeting lemurians and deciding to hang out in talos for a bit is bigfoot eating them are they being beamed up by ufos as they haven't been found there's no way to tell exactly what has happened but let's break it down a bit well the first thing i'd assume is just maybe it's a bit more dangerous maybe yosemite is just like a safer place first off these people aren't all disappearing off the mountain itself it's not like they're hiking up mount shasta turning a corner and then vanishing into thin air when you read the stories many of the cases were people passing through the town and the area they disappeared in is actually the siskiyo county not merely the area immediately surrounding mount shasta siskiyo county is very large apparently three times the size of connecticut so unfortunately it's not that surprising to have a few missing persons cases in an area that big looking through the details of the missing people there are a mixture of probable outcomes from accident to suicide to murder 
None of them have eyewitnesses saying that anything weird was happening just before the person went missing, so I guess we could just put them down as yet more unsolved cases that are unfortunately very much of this realm. Also, although the whole 11 in 10 years thing sounds impressive, when you look at the dates, the earliest given is 1986 and the most recent is 2020, which is substantially more than a span of 10 years. Okay, so that fact was just that, that fact statement was just a lie. There might be more than 11 missing people though, as I found other names bandied about that, that are real cases, but aren't listed in the official lists that I've found. The example of Carl Herbert Landers is one. In this case, it does sometimes say that he vanished after going around a bend, but other sources say he had gone on a hike ahead of his friends, so there wouldn't have been anyone to witness what happened to him. From what I could tell, he was supposed to be climbing Mount Shasta and said he was feeling ill the morning of the climb. He then went off by himself and is presumed to have died as his body has never been found. As he had gone off on his own, it's not even 100% clear if he even went up the mountain or not. I also did come across a couple of things, like a boy vanished on the trail and reappeared hours later, saying that a robot clone of his grandmother had kidnapped him and kept him in a cave full of spiders, and his actual grandmother woke up with a spider bike on the bite of the back of her head. But, you know, come on now. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And that boy also needs to be checked out by a doctor. All right, now we've hauled ourselves to the top of this volcanic mountain that could potentially blow at any time, let's grab a sledge and whiz back down, shitting on a few things while we go. Oh, I purposefully forgot to mention that another group of beings is also rumored to live in the tunnel and caves beneath Mount Shasta, the lizard people. So let's quietly tiptoe back to the tunnel from when we came and pretend we didn't see them. Debunking time. We've added lemurs. All right. It's time to head back to Lemuria. Sorry, folks. First off, the whole lost continent thing is just not real. The people proposing Lemuria, oh yeah, they're like, it's on the other side of the world. As a lost continent, originally were thinking it was some bit of land that connected Madagascar to India, as lemurs, which are now only found in Madagascar, were apparently historically found in India, but not in Africa, which is a lot closer to Madagascar than India is. Well, this was quite a confusing thing for me to research. As far as I can tell, there haven't been any confirmed fossils of lemurs in India until recently, and only then, it was only bits of teeth that were found, and it was extrapolated out to be relatives of the lemur. It seems there are two theories for how lemurs got to Madagascar. The first is that they started in Africa and floated across somehow to Madagascar. I've seen the term rafts of vegetation used, which seems like they crafted little rafts out of leaves, added a jaunty flag, and set sail all by themselves, but I think what it actually means is there was a lot of stuff like logs and large masses of vegetation that they could have used. According to National Geographic, ocean current models for around 50 million years ago, which is when the lemurs were supposed to have reached Madagascar, could definitely have carried them from southern Africa to Madagascar, so it seems like this was a plausible explanation for how they got there. What makes this extra confusing, however, is that some sources say there are no lemur fossils in Africa, and some say there are. What Philip Sclater, a 19th century zoologist, proposed was that a land bridge between India and Madagascar, which he names Lemuria, existed. This is how the lemurs got to Madagascar before the land bridge eventually broke off and sank beneath the waves. Now, this was a good theory for a while until geologists started finding out more about how our current continents were formed. They found out about the supercontinent Pangaea and plate tectonics and came to the conclusion that there could have been no Lemuria per se and there was no large sunken landmass beneath the Indian Ocean. Shocking, we know. But I mean, I don't want to shit on this one too bad because it's like this guy was a legit uh, zoologist, which is, oh, okay, yeah, he's looking at animals and stuff. So I guess a geologist would be more useful here. But it's like when you don't know, it's just, a, it's not a bad theory. But when it's proven wrong, you should be like, oh, yeah, my theory was wrong. Okay, fine. There's no Lemuria. Done. Problem solved. 
Mystery over. The article in National Geographic by Kerr Fan, published in 2010, says, One weakness of the land bridge theory is that today only four major groups of mammals live in Madagascar. These animals are distinctly related to mammals in mainland Africa, and they are all relatively small. It goes on to quote paleoclimatologist Matthew Huber, who points out, If there was a land bridge between Africa and Madagascar, why didn't large animals like elephants or lions cross? Which is an excellent point. The lost continent of Lemuria, as somewhere that explains why lemurs are found in Madagascar, has been widely debunked, which makes its reappearance elsewhere on the globe as an underground city for seven-foot-tall psychics even more confusing. I am happy, however, not to have to research the evolution of lemurs anymore. Philip Schlater did not mention advanced civilizations in his theories about Lemuria, and that all came later. Yeah, why was he? Was this the geologist dude? Uh, the zoologist even? Yeah, of course he wouldn't. He was trying to come up with actual science. <laughs> So let's start with A Dweller on Two Planets by Frederick Spencer Oliver. First of all, this is touted everywhere as one of the main sources about Lemuria being underneath Mount Shasta. I've scanned through it, though, and there are literally six mentions of the whole thing, and two of those using Lemurus as an alternative spelling. Thank God for Control-F, that's all I've got to say. The book is mainly about Atlantis, not Lemuria at all. This is the main thing the book has to say about it. To quote, Wouldest learn of destruction of Lemurus, that great people who were in the earth before the age of ice, when the world knew no cold, nor snow, nor frost, who antedated Poseid, Poseid by countless ages. Oh my god, text in the past, it's like so hard to read. <laughs> Turn to the book of Job and read of how the deep boiled like a pot, and reading, Thou shalt learn that Lemuria perished of fire from out the interplanetary depths. So one cycle of mankind dieth of fire and the next of water. What are you smoking, bro? <laughs> what did that even mean? That's the most salient bit. It is hardly salient at all, Katie. What does it even mean? I'm not sure if this guy's just like wacko or whether it's just like language from the past being really hard to understand. The first mention is too boring to have you read out, and the last one goes into a weird story about a fair girl being attacked by a swarthy man, although I think he actually sacrificed himself in the end instead of killing her. It's a bit confusing. Anyway, this hardly goes into any great detail about anything Lemuria-related. The examples just seem to be thrown in to act as some other example to bolster the Atlantis one. There was a sequel published called An Earth Dweller's Return. However, it seems that it was not written by Oliver and was in fact just written in a similar style by the Lemurian Fellowship, which has since sprung up. It was much more Lemuria-centered, and many people dismissed it just as being fodder to join their movement. I haven't bothered reading that one, as I was fed up with Lemuria by this point, so I'll just have to take the word of an Amazon reviewer who said, This is supposed to be the sequel to A Dweller on Two Planets by Phylos the Tibetan. We're talking about channeled material, and while no one could easily doubt the authenticity of the first book, I cannot say the same about this one. No one could easily doubt the authenticity of the first book. You mean the one that was dictated in this guy's head by an alien hundreds of years ago? Or a hundred-something years ago? Please. So this leads us onto the more influential work by Harvey Spencer Lewis, Lemuria, the Lost Continent of the Pacific. Note that he said Pacific here, not Indian Ocean. Somehow, over the course of the years, the whole notion of a fallen land bridge between Madagascar and India morphed into a sunken continent of superbeings in the Pacific. The only thing connecting the two was the name Lemuria, but I don't think Lewis's book makes any mention of lemurs. Anyway, Thanks to the incredible disclaimer in the publisher's preface, just because there's absolutely zero evidence of this underground city or race of psychic megaminds, that doesn't mean it's not at all true. Yeah, <laughs> does it? It's all true. You're just insecure. It's the worst argument for this bullshit that I've ever heard. I think we can safely say that Lewis just made all of this shit up or just swapped out the word Atlantis for Lemuria. 
off the back of Frederick Oliver's book. Unfortunately, a lot of people still believe it even now, and we'll get into the modern-day stuff in a minute. Oh, cringe. Why do people believe this? People have searched for entrances to Talos for decades, but there was one man who thought he might have found it, remember? Yeah, the guy who went on an 11-mile walk into a mountain because he's a maniac. But he didn't because it's not real. That would be J.C. Brown, who then sneakily failed to show when a large expedition was gathered at someone else's expense. I mean, but also more for them. <laughs> <laughs> like, you've been mega gullible. I have no idea if this story is true or not, but the fact that he didn't appear to take any souvenirs the first time and the expedition was stymied from the beginning the second time, it's probably just a folktale. Guy Ballard also probably didn't need to meet the reincarnated version or astral protection of the Count of Saint Germain on the mountain that day either. Either he just met some inspirational hippie, or he just made it up. While the I Am movement was quite a hit back in his day. After he died, his wife and son were charged with fraud, with the case being that they got millions of dollars from followers but didn't actually believe in their own teachings. That's going to be really hard to prove, though. Because <laughs> if they're like just a religious organization, I was like, no, 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 we definitely believe in this stuff. I guess that's not fraud somehow? A jury found them guilty, which was overturned on appeal but later reinstated. Eventually, the Supreme Court dismissed their conviction and the I Am movement still exists to this day with, a specific, with an especially strong presence around Mount Shasta. Again, exactly the sort of people that I will get emails from. Mount Shasta Today Alright, so let's turn to some more modern Mount Shasta news. Now, I know we've been ragging on it for the whole episode, but it does hold a sacred place in the hearts of many Native American tribes, and it is roundly thought of as a mystical place where weird things happen. There are Reddit stories galore about people having weird experiences when hiking in the forests and mountains, although to be fair, there are an equal number of people saying things like, you're so lucky, I've lived here all my life and never experienced anything weird. If you're in some woods that are notoriously spooky, you're going to be a bit more susceptible to being spooked. Yeah, even I would be. If I'm alone in that forest and I don't believe in any of this stuff, I'm still going to be like way more like, uh, maybe ghosts are real. <laughs> because that's how humans' brains work and they're stupid. In August 1987, something that was described as a spiritual woodstock called Harmonic Convergence took place at power centers of spiritual energy, one of them being Mount Shasta. This was supposed to be an auspicious lining up of planets and also the end of a Mayan calendar cycle, although I believe there was a bit of tweaking to get the two things to converge and also the planetary alignment thing wasn't a particularly big deal, but there you go, spiritual woodstock. Apparently, during this Harmonic Convergence, an angel appeared on someone's TV in Mount Shasta and someone then channeled the angel, claiming it said, quote, I shall be appearing in many third-dimensional guises. Look for me on your computer screens, your television sets, and beaming down from your satellites. I don't believe anything came of that. No, it didn't. It's not real. People still flock to Mount Shasta today, some just for the scenery and nature, but there's definitely a large New Age contingent. There are a lot of crystal shops in Mount Shasta. <laughs> you know, places like hippie and New Age, you know, what's that shop sell? Crystals? Like, for jewelry? No, no, no. For, like, spells and or healing. There are also very mm, interesting tours and retreats that you can take, such as this one called the Arcturian Healing Retreat. For the rather odd amount of $944, which does not include accommodation, you will experience Nakura activations, connection with Arcturian lightships above Mount Shasta, quantum field activations, making contact, healing, enter pure reality, find out your cosmic origin, connect to stargates on Mount Shasta, stargate heart activation, activations at high-frequency portals and vortex on Mount Shasta, one Arcturian healing massage activation, and three organic meals. 
It's just like you're making stuff up and then charging people for it. Go on, Simon, put it on your to-do list. No, thank you very much. Arcturians are highly advanced extraterrestrials, by the way. Tell you what, any extraterrestrials that come to visit are going to be highly advanced because they came from their planet to our planet. So we're going to be like, oh my god, space gods. There's also a website I mentioned earlier called LemuriaConnection.com. This gives a very thorough history of Lemurians and all their spiritual stuff, but as always, it really seems to skew the whole thing towards Christianity. Look, if Jesus was born about 2,000 years ago, why are these beings that you state have been in existence for hundreds of thousands of years retaining their Christ consciousness? They wouldn't have had a clue who he was had they been under a mountain for at least 12,000 years, so his little blip in the timeline would have completely passed them by. The Lemurian Connection also states, Lemuria still exists in a fourth and fifth dimensional frequency, not yet visible to our third dimensional vision and perception. As the veil between the dimensions becomes increasingly thinner, oh, it does, does it? <laughs> Lemuria, in her new splendor and glory, will reveal herself to us in a very physical and tangible way. Oh, we can't actually see it yet? Oh, that's convenient, isn't it? Honestly, this stuff is a bit bonkers. On talosuk.co.uk, yes, there's a UK site about it too. Here's a bit about what they have to say about Mount Shasta. Quoting, It is a focus for angels, spirit guides, spaceships, masters from the light realm, and the home of the survivors of ancient Lumeria, which sunk under the waves of the Pacific Ocean a little over 12,000 years ago. No, it didn't! We disproved this! For those gifted with clairvoyant abilities, Mount Shasta is embraced in a gigantic etheric purple pyramid whose capstone reaches far beyond this planet into space. No, it doesn't. It's half the size of Mount Everest and connects us intergalactically to the confederation of planets for this sector of the Milky Way galaxy. Well, you're getting your terminology wrong because inter intergalactic means between galaxies, whereas planets within this sector of the Milky Way galaxy would be interstellar, not intergalactic. What are you talking Come on! This is basic sh the awesome pyramid is also created as an inverted version of itself, reaching far down to the very core of the Earth. You can call Mount Shasta the entry point for the light grids of this planet, where most of the energy comes first from the galactic and universal core before it is disseminated to other mountains and into the grids. Um, so yeah, visit telosuk.co.uk if you want more of that bullshit, in my opinion. Conclusions while myths and legends continue to swirl around Mount Shasta, the strange stories of underground cities are just pure fiction, made up from mashing together various stories of lost continents with a big spiritual twist. The Bigfoot and UFO sightings are also just hearsay until we see some actual evidence and anecdotal stories of feeling weirded out or seeing things in the woods isn't exclusive to Mount Shasta. That can happen anywhere. I don't believe that people are going missing at a vastly different rate than anywhere else or in more mysterious circumstances. It's just tied in with the existing reputation of the area. Tribes such as the Winamem Wintu regularly hold ceremonies around Mount Shasta and probably get annoyed with all the tourists poking around and looking for entrances to non-existent underground cities. While Mount Shasta is a special place, it is not a portal to a fifth dimension or a hideout for reptilians. It's just a big old volcano covered in snow that has the potential to blow its top at any time, which would not be good news for the crystal shops. Yeah, but no one will miss the crystal shops. Fuck the crystal shops. And that's the end of today's episode. Thanks for being here. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.